Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau's funding structure, my interview with Flagstar's Lee Smith on Flagstar's recent merger with New York Community Bank, and what pending home sales and new home sales tell us about the direction of the housing market. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Built Technologies. Construction real estate solutions for better financial management. Improve business performance with faster, smarter tools for all stages of the property life cycle. To learn more, visit getbuilt.com. The Consumer Finance Protection Bureau's mission is spelled out in its name. You and I both want to be protected, right? It'll be interesting to see if the CFPB's funding structure is protected. The CFPB is in the news, and not for the rumored 55 words that you can't use in emails per the CFPB. No, I don't have the list, and certainly don't use personal emails for work purposes to get around it. But in the news for the Supreme Court agreeing to hear a case involving its structure and funding source. And also the CFPB shutting down a lender that didn't seem to listen to its warnings over the years. More specifically, the Supreme Court on Monday agreed to hear a challenge that threatens to hobble the CFPB. At issue is the way Congress set up the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. Instead of relying on annual spending legislation like other agencies, the CFPB is funded by the Federal Reserve, an arrangement intended to ensure its independence. A while back, Ed Groshans with Compass Point Research and Trading addressed the potential outcomes. Quote, SCOTUS can hear the case and rule that the CFPB's funding is constitutional. This outcome would have no bearing on the CFPB, and it would continue its normal operations. Or the Supreme Court could hear the case and concur with the Fifth Circuit opinion. In this scenario, we expect the CFPB would have to cease its operations until such time that it receives appropriate funds from Congress. If this opinion was issued in June, we expect that the CFPB's activities would be halted until roughly the end of December, at the latest. Congress must address fiscal year 2024 funding at some point this year. It can pass appropriation bills, a continuing resolution, or an omnibus spending bill, and we project that the Senate Majority Leader would use his position to ensure that some level of funding is provided to the CFPB, regardless of the type of legislative vehicle. SCOTUS could deny the petition, in which case the Fifth Circuit ruling would stand. This is an interesting outcome. As noted, the CFPB has not altered its operations since the opinion was issued. End quote. Meanwhile, CFPB permanently banned RMK Financial Corporation, which does business as Majestic Home Loans, from the mortgage lending industry by prohibiting RMK from engaging in any mortgage lending activities or receiving remuneration from mortgage lending. Ouch. In 2015, the CFPB issued an agency order against RMK for, among other things, sending advertisements to military families that led the recipients to believe the company was affiliated with the United States government. Despite the 2015's order, prohibition on these and other actions, the company engaged in a series of repeated offenses, including disseminating millions of mortgage advertisements to military families that deceptively used fake U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs or VA, SEALs, the FHA logo, and other language or design elements to falsely imply that RMK was affiliated with the government. 
In addition to the ban, RMK will also pay a million dollar penalty that will be deposited into the CFPB's Victim Relief Fund. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome to the show Flagstar's Lee Smith to discuss Flagstar's recent merger with New York Community Bank. Mr. Smith is Senior Executive Vice President and President of Mortgage at Flagstar Bank, a position he assumed in September of 2020. In this role, he's responsible for the direction and oversight of all aspects of mortgage, including mortgage sales and originations, secondary and capital markets, mortgage fulfillment operations, and mortgage servicing, as well as the strategic growth of Flagstar's mortgage and servicing businesses. He joined Flagstar in 2013 as Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer and held that position until his appointment as Head of Mortgage. At the start of December last year, New York Community Bank Corp announced uh, that its acquisition of Flagstar Bank Corp was completed, which is which created a, a regional banking franchise that, that ranks among the, the bigger banks in the country. For those uh, for those people that might not have heard about this or, or would like more information, I'd like more information myself. Can you discuss the reasoning for the, the merger and, and the ultimate benefit for both the companies and their consumers? Yeah, sure. It's a great question. I think the merger is a win-win for both organizations and it creates a bigger, more diversified bank. And that benefits all stakeholders, employees, customers and shareholders. Um, If you think about it, New York Community Bank on a standalone basis was very concentrated in multifamily lending in New York City. And Flagstar had an outsized mortgage business for the size of our balance sheet. And both organizations' valuation multiples reflected that. Together, we have almost 400 bank branches in some terrific geographies, New York, New Jersey, South Florida, Arizona, the Midwest. We have national commercial lending capabilities from a CNI, CRE, warehouse lending, and build a finance point of view to complement those core businesses of multifamily lending and mortgage. So we want to create this barbell strategy where the bank will generate strong earnings in any interest rate environment because we have businesses that can thrive in both an increasing and decreasing interest rate environment. And our customers are going to benefit from having a more diverse product set, access to better technology and a commitment to continue to invest and further improve the customer experience. We always talk internally about making the customer experience our point of difference. And both organizations have a great track record of stellar customer service. So I think we're going to continue to invest and push ourselves to keep getting better and better. And that's great news for our customers. In addition to it being great news for your customers, there there have to be some benefits for business partners when it comes to bank mergers as well. Can you take us through some of those? Yeah, I think absolutely. And it it ties into having uh, a bigger balance sheet. I think having a bigger balance sheet gives you more optionality in terms of having uh, more and different levers to pull. Uh, We're obviously going to want to focus on optimizing the assets we put on the balance sheet. And the great news now is we have way more choice given the various businesses we have on a combined basis. So we can be thoughtful and deliberate about what we add Uh, to the portfolio so we're maximizing returns for shareholders but it's not just about having a big balance sheet there are other benefits for instance on the mortgage side 
We have an excellent RMBS program, and, and we were the third largest issuer of RMBS in 2021. We can leverage that capability in multifamily lending, and that's something uh, New York Community Bank didn't do on a standalone basis. And I think for our business partners, we're obviously now a $90 billion bank, so there's more scale, more diversity, and those partners can help us across multiple business lines and areas and can benefit significantly. And our approach is to build deep relationships with our partners we trust. We don't just want a transactional relationship. We like deep relationships where we can help each other grow and be successful. And, and when you look at the mortgage side specifically, you think about what we can offer now. You know, we're a big originator, big in the TPO space. So we can buy loans from TPOs. We can sell MSRs. We can subservice those loans. And then we can offer financing solutions through our warehouse lending uh, and MSR financing uh, lending businesses. So we really are a one-stop shop um, and, and being bigger allows us to benefit uh, our business partners in multiple ways. Yeah, as a quick follow-up on the on the balance sheet side of things there, is a bigger balance sheet always better for a bank? I think, it, like I said, it gives you more optionality. Um, and, and, and we've got more choices. And so I think you're not so concentrated in particular businesses or particular asset classes. And I think that's what having the bigger balance sheet does. So you can be more responsive, more reactive to the market uh, and where the opportunities are. And I think that's the, uh, that's the benefit of having a bigger balance sheet. So as this is a mortgage podcast I want, I want to talk about warehouse lending very quickly and and kind of get your take on what's the overall landscape of the warehouse lending space and, and what's changed since the onset of the pandemic obviously when the pandemic started we were hearing about margin calls and things of that nature yeah sure um, currently we're the second largest warehouse lender in the country and we have about 11 billion of uh, commitments uh, the warehouse business was obviously going gangbusters during the pandemic and in the low interest rate environment, but it's now slowed down in the rapidly rising rate interest uh, rate environment as the mortgage origination business has also contracted. Notwithstanding that, we've been able to benefit from the merger by increasing the size of lines to our major customers, given we're now a $90 billion uh, bank rather than a $30 billion bank. Uh, and we also offer MSR and servicing advanced lending solutions. And those lending areas are thriving right now. Um, we've been in the warehouse lending business for 30 plus years. We like and understand it. It fits our mortgage flywheel where we can offer origination capabilities, servicing and subservicing together with lending solutions for our customers. And we call that the one-stop shop. You can come to Flagstar and we can do it all for you. And at the risk of belaboring the, the point here, we've talked about how a, a, a bigger balance sheet, some of the, the benefits behind that. But how do you at Flagstar, kind of generally speaking in, in this industry, continue to improve your product offerings to attract more clients? Yeah, well, it's it's vitally important. We're constantly soliciting feedback from our customers and watching the market to make sure we have the right product set and look for ways to make ourselves more competitive. We've done a very nice job on the mortgage side, building our non-agency portfolio, our construction lending offerings and HELOCs 
And that's where having a balance sheet is helpful. We don't have to sell everything we originate. We can selectively use the portfolio or even leverage our securitization program. And that in and of itself gives us more discretion and optionality when introducing new products. We also run a mortgage fintech accelerator program and are getting ready to launch the fourth cohort of that. And this gives us the opportunity to work with up and coming innovative fintechs who can also help us drive product innovation and a better experience for our customers. So we have a lot going on and, and are excited about what we will accomplish going forward. Uh, but having that broad and diverse product set uh, together with a great customer experience is, is the fulcrum of, uh, of, of everything that we're doing. Is there any way you can give some more details on the mortgage fintech accelerator and, and what you're working on there, what the end goals are? It sounds really interesting. Yeah, sure. It's um, So this is a program uh, we've been running for about five years. And, and as I say, we're about to launch the fourth cohort. Uh, and what we do is we invite um, applications from uh, startup fintechs that are specializing in the mortgage and servicing space. Um, and what we'll do is we will have demos with everybody that applies, and then we will um, select three or four fintechs to work with over a three-month period. Now, being a bank, we obviously bring um, our experience uh, of working at scale, our knowledge of the uh, of compliance and risk, um, and just being able to uh, operate in a heavily regulated environment. And the fintechs, they bring their energy, uh, their innovation. Uh, and so both sides are bringing something different uh, to the table where all can benefit. Um, and we've met some great organizations through this, um, Brace AI, Stavi, Orange Grid, and there's many others that we've uh, met and work, worked with uh, over the last three cohorts of this. Um, but I sort of refer to this as the Moneyball strategy. And what I mean by that is if it, someone like Chase spends 12, 13 billion a year on technology, we can't compete with that. So we've got to think more creatively and differently in order to be able to compete. And we do it through the Mortgage Fintech Accelerator and partnering with these young and up and coming fintech. So it allows us to stay on the cutting edge of innovation uh, without having to spend billions and billions of dollars. That's very exciting. Well, you, you certainly sound like a busy man. So I'm going to let you get back to, to some of those projects there. And But I, I want to thank you for making the time to talk to me today. This was great. Yeah, Robbie, thanks very much for, for having me and uh, having Flagstar on uh, the podcast. And we appreciate your support. Pending home sales rose 8.1% month over month, but are still down 24% compared to a year ago. That said, the National Association of Realtors doesn't really see much of a pickup in home sales until 2024. NAR's chief economist, Lawrence Young, thinks home prices will be steady in most parts of the country, with a minor change in the national median home price. All four U.S. regions posted monthly gains, but saw year-over-year -year drops in transactions. Unlike most other data points we receive, pending home sales are a forward-looking indicator based on contract signings. Markets took yesterday's mostly better-than-expected data, like durable goods, in stride, mostly as last week's releases 
and hawkish Fed talk already had a strong repricing on the terminal Fed funds rate and the higher for longer narrative. This, despite the Fed's continued fight to restrict activity. Consumer inflation accelerated at its fastest pace since October and January, all but assuring continued monetary policy tightening from the Fed. The minutes from the FOMC's last meeting suggest that more members have shifted their positions from dovish to hawkish. Housing continues to bear the brunt of this tightening cycle as we learned last week that existing home sales saw their largest year-over-year decline, down 36.9% in January. The cool-down has helped to ease historically high home prices as the median single-family price was $363,100, down from a peak of $420,900 in June of 2022. However, new home sales jumped 7.2% in January to a 670,000 unit annualized pace with the median sale price of $427,500, a mere 0.7% lower than a year ago as builders return to offering incentives to move inventory. Today's month-end calendar begins with advanced economic indicators for January, which includes the goods trades balance, wholesale inventories, and retail inventories. Later this morning brings December home prices from FHFA and S&P and K. Schiller, Chicago PMI for February, Consumer Confidence for February, the Richmond Fed Manufacturing and Services Indexes for February, and Dallas Fed Texas Services for, I'll let you guess which month. <laughs> There's one Fed speaker scheduled, Chicago President Goolsby. We begin the day with agency MBS prices roughly unchanged from Monday night, and the 10-year yielding 3.94 after closing yesterday at 3.92%. The two years still up at 4.80%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. Do you know that you could retire to California where your income is over $450,000 but you still can't afford a house? The fastest part of your commute is going down your driveway. You know how to eat artichoke and prefer organic avocado oil? When someone asks you how far something is, you tell them how long it will take to get there rather than how many miles it is. And the four seasons are fire, flood, mud, and drought. It's currently somewhere between flood and mud season right now. <laughs> well, it hailed yesterday, but whatever. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Built Technologies. Construction real estate solutions for better financial management. Improve business performance with faster, smarter tools for all stages of the property life cycle. To learn more, Visit getbuilt.com. Questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities? Send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.